Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to let you know of something that we just recently announced that we are so excited about at ABT, and our Virtual Hitting Academy is getting a facelift in 2022. So, so excited for this. We are adding monthly guest speakers that are going to come in and coach you. You're going to have exclusive access to one-on-one coaching with me where we can talk about hitting our mental game, a hundred plus hours of videos of hitting drills, mental skills, coaching workouts, and more free hitting journal, some gear, and so, so, so much more that is just scratching the surface with this virtual hitting Academy. We are so excited. Enrollment begins January 1st, but if you join the wait list now, you will get early access and freebies by joining the waitlist. So joining the waitlist is free. So just head over to www.ashleybtraining.com to get access to all the freebies, all of the things that we're giving you inside the ABT waitlist. We are so, so, so excited to launch this on January 1st. And if you're just interested at all, you're going to want to join that waitlist. So head to www.ashleybtraining.com. You will be shown where you can sign up for the waitlist and get ready because things are about to get exciting. All right, let's head to this episode. I think the same thing's true in, you know, relationships, right? Like when we have a conversation and one person is really high on emotions because something just happened, like it can make you kind of overreact and it makes it very unconstructive, right? Yeah. But if we both have time to kind of like let those emotions come down, say, hey, like, okay, what happened? How did it make us feel? Like what's going on? Right. And then basically be able to kind of analyze it from that standpoint. All of a sudden you can have a much more constructive kind of conversation. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players Some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode.
Hey, When the Queens Come Off fam, welcome to 2022 and officially my favorite interview I have ever done on the podcast. Now, I know I've said that in the past for, you know, Caitlin Lowe, my role model growing up and other interviews I've done with some of my friends, but this one is with my best friend. It's my husband. At this time that you're listening, we are just past the five-month mark of being married, and I thought it was a perfect time to really introduce you to my favorite person in the entire world. And I'm not just doing this because he's my husband, but he also was a really, really, really good golfer. And if anybody knows golf here, you know how mentally tough this sport is. So I'm excited to whip out this conversation with you. We recorded it not too long ago, and Of course, it was a long episode, so we're splitting this into two parts. In this conversation, my husband, Ben Marvin, and I, we talk about why golf is so hard. I think I asked him that question five times because I wanted more context to how tough it is because I tried playing it, and it's one of the toughest sports ever mentally, and I know a lot of this conversation we have on the podcast is about mental game and the best part is we're about to learn from someone who's played at the highest level golf. And that's the most mentally tough sport in my opinion. So there's a lot we can learn about that. We also talk about how our dads were very similar um, to us as athletes growing up. And it's really interesting, the similarities and the differences between his dad and my dad and how we both were able to be molded to be high-level athletes. By the way, I probably didn't mention this, but he played golf at Purdue at the same time that I played softball at Purdue. I'm super, super excited for this. Of course, we share a bit about our love story from eight years ago when we first met to now. And lastly, we talk about the importance of composure. And he's one of the most composed athletes I've ever seen compete. And there's there's something to that. There's something really important about being able to be composed and not let aggression kind of take over. I've seen a lot of golfers be aggressive on the field when it comes to their emotions and why I think he was so even keeled helped him find a ton of success as a golfer. So we had so much fun recording this episode. I am so excited for you to get your ears on it. So here is the conversation with Ben Marvin and Ashley Eggle. Welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I have the most special guest I've had on the show. And yes, I can say this because I'm married to him. Ben Marvin Nagel, welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here just because, one, you've been asking me nonstop when you're going to be on the podcast. That's not true. Yes. Yes. You've asked me at least 10 times, when am I going to be on the show? I think it was just because you put it into my ear that one time and it was like, I, I think she just said it to make me feel good. And then it was like, it was actually never going to happen. But and, and here, here we, we are. are. <laughs> here we are. Yes. You, you have been itching to be on the podcast. And honestly, I, I've probably been pushing it off because I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go with it because there's so many things that I know about you that I feel like could bring value to the audience. But where to start kind of slowed me down. So I just said, let's just do the dang thing. And here we are. So should we tell the audience how we met first, just so they can, you know, set the playing field and kind of know what's coming. Perfect. Maybe you're great at this. So we've been married for a total of not even four months. Correct. Correct. You're better at math than me. Um, 
That's what I was waiting for, by the way, to get you on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Four months in, how do you think it's going? Great. Everything's good. (laughs) Life's, life's crazy, but it's art crazy and it's, it's fun and it's exciting and we haven't been bored yet. So that's, that's the way to live life, right? Yeah. But that's because we have a dog. Not just the dog. You don't think so? I guess buying a house has something to do to it with it. Yeah, but it's been fun. It's been great. It's been fun. I think it's been going decent. The fun thing, and I think we both have like similar mindsets here, is that where it starts isn't going to be where we end. Yep. Yep. And that's the exciting part. It's like every day is something different. For sure. And a new challenge. So it's been going good. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been pretty a pretty fun ride. People ask me all the time like, "How's it going?" I'm like, "I think it's fine." <laughs> I think yeah, it's I good. mean, I, I feel like it's almost one of those where it's like if you don't really have any like really just big things that come to your mind when somebody asks you that question, that means like you're obviously doing the thing, right? Yeah, like it's we're not in it. like there's nothing like no excitement is almost like good news, right? It's like how was how was your travel? How was your trip? It's like uneventful. Like that's. That's a kind of That's great kind way of what to put you it, want. Right? Yeah. 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 There's no big ups or big downs. It's yeah. just we're yeah. we're, we're doing, doing the it. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love we're it. There. Good answer. This is why I knew you'd be a good person to interview. Um, okay, so just to keep it short. Oh boy. With our story, I guess you could say we met our junior year. We we're in the same class at Purdue. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we met before then. You think so? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, well, we did live in the same dorm yeah. our freshman year. We never knew that. So yeah, I guess we could have. But when you came on my radar was when I got this random email from this guy that was like, hey, I'm trying to change a bylaw here for the Big Ten. Will you help me with it? Or do you want to meet about it? And I normally never check my email. <laughs> <laughs> As a college athlete, like that's the last thing you think of, right? unless you're like sending a document to yourself that you're trying to publish for class. But I somehow came across this email and we started meeting and then we actually did it. We changed the bylaw. What was the bylaw again? It had to do with student athletes going to games. Yep. So the big 10 had a, had a longstanding rule that did not allow student athletes of other sports to attend men's basketball or football uh, games during the season and all other conferences allowed it. Big 10 was kind of unique in that sense. And, you know, we felt like to, to bring all the teams and, and all the student athletes together, it made sense to, you know, allow student athletes um, to be able to go to those games without having to pay for the tickets. Obviously, you know, there were a lot of things around financial aid and everything else, a cost of attendance that have gone out around that same, same topic. Obviously college students aren't necessarily, you know, filled with with money in their pockets and their bank accounts to be able to pay for some of these sporting events so that's a fact it was very cool that the that the big 10 was you know open enough to allow us to do this and you know even to some of the biggest you know stadiums in the in the country the the big house uh the horseshoe i mean all of them you know 110,000 and it's packed every single game and you know even those administrators have have opened their doors to other student athletes to be able to go to games, which is really, really cool. And, you know, now we even see your sister being able to benefit from that too. Hey, that's a fact. She doesn't even know that, I don't she, think. I don't think she knows that. She's been to so many games in the big house at this point. Yeah. She didn't know that we had something to do with that. Yeah, we're pretty cool. We're you'd be let's call us just a power couple. 
I'm not the first one to say it. I'm just repeating somebody else. But yeah, that's how we met. And I will say one meeting a week turned into like two and then three and then boom, we're dating. Our first date was at Chipotle before we left for Wisconsin. Yep. Yeah. Man. And now look at us. We have a dog. We have a house. We're married. What a road. What a road. And now we're here. Yep. I still, so if anybody is listening and you're like, this is not like a normal interview. It's not. I'm not going to lie. I've been nervous for this thing again, because I'm like, this could go in so many different ways, but I have a gazillion questions. I'm sure I won't get to all of them, but, um, you played college golf. Yep. I'm pretty sure the first time I saw you hit the driver and I had no, I had no appreciation for golf before I met you. I'm just going to say that out loud. Like my uncle would be watching it on TV and I'd be like, what is the point? I don't understand this sport. Yep. You hit a little white ball, you chase it around, you hit it again. And yeah, that's the difference between yeah. your sport and my sport. Yeah. You hit it and then have to go get it. Find I it. hit it and somebody else has to go get it yep. and find it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For me, I have to find it. But college athletics, man. I, so again, with golf, I really didn't understand how hard it was until like I saw you go through it. Like the grind of, was it 36 holes a day? Yep. Yep. Take, okay. I think you should just take us through like what being a college golfer is like to start out this conversation. I'm not sure how much of it I can even share. <laughs> um, and some of my teammates might, might, you know, be, be saying the same thing, but remember uh, please, the audience please. are coaches, parents, yeah, and some right, athletes here. Right. They're, they're all just like, please don't share some of these stories. Um, <laughs> don't drop names. Yeah. I didn't warn you for that. So, I mean, I think you grow up your whole life, you know, envisioning the fact that you can play in college or that you can play on the PGA tour. So, you know, you get there and you're just so excited. Right. And it's just, it's something you've always dreamed about, but I don't think like junior golf, I don't think, you know, growing up high school golf, I mean, it doesn't really prepare you for the grind that is college golf. Right. And, and I think, you know, I say that in a couple of different ways, just because, you know, you're always kind of on your own schedule. Golf's an individual sport for the most part, right? You go to high school and, um, you know, I went to a relatively small high school, um, had great teammates, but, you know, practice was laid back. It was, you know, we'd go play nine holes. We'd do some drills here and there, but like for the most part, we kind of just did our own thing, had a good time. We, you know, we enjoyed our, our, each other's company. And, you know, it was like, you'd go play a, a high school match and it'd be nine holes. You might have an 18 hole tournament on the weekends, but that was it. Right. And even through like sectionals and regionals and state, I mean, it's 18 holes, like it's a sprint, right? Like you're, I mean, you've got to play well and it's similar to like a Monday qualifying, right. For the PGA tour, you've got 18 holes to basically prove that you're better than everybody else. And, you know, mm -hmm. on the PGA tour, they've got 72 holes to do it. And then they're doing it for 28 weeks a year to basically prove that they're the best. Right. Um, and you don't always have your best stuff. And I think like when you get to college, it's, it's similar just because it happens so fast. Right. And you don't play that many tournaments and it just kind of like, you know, it, it comes and it goes, but like the practices, I mean, are obviously a lot more intense. You're playing, I don't know, during any given week, you might go and play, you know, five, six, seven rounds of 18 holes, um, basically to prepare for the weekends or doing qualifying. And then you're practicing on the side because you want to get better as an individual and you have to put in the time and the effort to basically be able to, you know, beat your teammates to be able to make it into tournaments. And then you get into basically tournament golf and, you know, it, it could be a, 
Saturday, Sunday tournament. And you'd be traveling on a Thursday. Friday would be a practice round. And I mean, if anybody's ever been a part of or, or seen kind of a practice round, I mean, when you've got six guys all playing in one group from the same team and everybody's practicing and trying to get a sense for the course, I mean, these are like six, seven hour rounds. Mm-hmm. So it's not like your normal round of golf where it's four hours with the guys and you're having beers and whatnot. Like it's six hours, seven hours of literally just intense studying of the golf course of, you know, everything you've got to know about it. Um, so you're out there all day, right? I mean, you get out, you get up in the morning, you're, you warm up, you know, you, you're out there for six, seven hours, you practice afterwards, and then you're going home having dinner back to the hotel. So you're out there all day Friday. And then Saturday is honestly the biggest grind. Cause you know, we, you wake up Saturday and most tournaments will go kind of a 36, 18 format. So you you get 54 holes in for the tournament. But I mean, you think about playing 36 holes in one day, walking the golf course and you know, not all golf courses are created equally. Obviously, that's a great thing about golf, but... Can we talk about 36 holes a day? How many miles are you walking? I mean, most people say it's like six to eight miles per round. So you double that and you're probably somewhere in that ballpark of, I don't know, 15 miles, like, 15, this 16. This was the part that I just didn't understand. I was like, what? First of all, you're you're out there, you're playing for like a significant amount of time. But like you are, that's so exhausting. No wonder why I saw you guys running sprints every 6 a.m. Yeah, we still never understood that (laughs) because we don't, we don't actually sprint on the golf course. Right. But but you have to be conditioned. You have to be able to like be coherent. I don't know what other word to say for like your first swing to your last. Yep. Yep. That takes a lot of endurance. I mean, there's the physical side and there's obviously the mental side. And we've spent a lot of time talking about that. But Where do you think we're going today, babe? <laughs> it's, uh, I, I mean, the, the physical side is one side of it. I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of golf being super, super physical, but I think for all those that, that have played kind of at that level and done the 36 holes and walking 36 holes. And, you know, sometimes it's not that day. That's the hardest. It's actually the next morning mm. because, you know, you have just gone through that. And anybody that, you know, has ever gone through a tough workout or whatever, you know, waking up that next morning and, you know, having to go do it again, I think is really the part where it's just like, okay, like now I've really got to kind of battle and fight through it. Because, you know, you wait, you you were just out there for 12 hours a day before you're exhausted, get dinner, go to sleep and, you Mm -hmm. know, alarm goes off at 5 a.m. the next morning, basically, so that you can go and play your, your third round. Right. Okay, before we dive into this episode with me and my new husband, I need to tell you about something I'm super, super excited and passionate about, and it is the Virtual Hitting Academy. So I have had this academy already, but we are amping it up. This is the 2.0 version, and it's finally here, and enrollment is open for a couple more days. So we have, this is a new element, guest speakers that are coming in each month to talk to athletes and parents. We've locked in Sue Inquist, Natasha Watley, Chris Fasami, Morgan Stewart. Yes, there's a trend here. They've all been on the podcast before. They have shared their stories and their knowledge about parent-player relationship, about the power of good pace running and speed work, hitting, and more. I'm so excited for you guys to be able to listen to them live and in person and learn from them in this new element of this coaching. We also will have weekly, weekly meetings. So it'll be either hitting or mental game. We're going to go simultaneously. One week will be hitting. 
One week will be mental game and we will go back to back there and you will be learning so much about the swing, so much about confidence in these classes. Also, I mentioned monthly coaching with other coaches. This is gonna be probably the biggest and most exciting part of this entire academy. There's also one-on-one training that's only going to be allowed from here on out with academy members. So in the past, I've been able to do one-on-one training with anybody and everyone. And now I'm actually reducing that down to only academy members that are gonna be able to virtually work one-on-one with me. There's a community of goal-getters just like you with inspiration, motivation everywhere. I've put in over 30 drills inside this academy and they are all sequenced based on what you need to work on. So if you need more lower half strength or power, you have drills specific to that. Barrel speed, drills specific to that. I've even included some workouts from high-level strength conditioning coaches to help work on strength and speed and more. I'm so excited to be able to give you all of these mental skills, all of these physical skills to become the most confident hitter your athlete can be. I'm also going to give you a free journal, a free hitting journal if you join, and also some fun gear from the ABT community. So what your athlete's going to learn inside this academy is a ton of accountability, a ton of confidence, how to have a high-level work ethic, leadership, courage, and how to stay motivated when things get tough. I'm so excited to help athletes get stronger mentally and physically. Doors to enrollment close on January 14th. So I'm hoping you're listening to this before that date. And these will not open again until July for our last six months of the year. We're starting out 2022 with a bang, and I'm so excited. I think this is the best investment for your hitter in 2022. And if you want to enroll, go to www.ashleybtraining.com. And I'm very excited to see you inside. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me, send me an email, send me a DM. I'm happy to answer any questions, but a lot of questions can be answered if you head to my website and check it out. So if you're interested, please pause this episode, go check it out. And let's now get to this conversation with my husband and I. I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this, but I'm just curious. Let's say you have a crappy day on the golf course. Do you feel worse getting up the next day to go play? Like when it comes to like physical exhaustion or like when you have like the best round of your life and wake up, which one do you think you're more exhausted from or is it the same? I think it depends. I mean, I think I've, I've probably been a member of the first one a lot more than I have the second one. Let's just throw that out. So I don't know if I can, <laughs> if I'm really a good person to compare the two. He's really humble. Everybody. Um, I just want you guys to know that. But I think there's there's days where a bad day can be extremely exhausting. And there's, there's times when you feel like there's just, there's no recovering from it. Right. And like you, you get out that next day and you're just like, it's going to be just as bad. Like this is just demoralizing. Right. And then there's other days where you go out there and you, you might've struggled, but you've almost got that little bit of just like, I'm going to go get it tomorrow. Like, I don't know why, I don't know what it is that clicked, but there's just something that just gives you that extra little motivation that says today's the day, right. That I'm going to kick this thing that I'm going to say, I'm done playing bad golf or I'm done doing stupid stuff on the golf course. Right. And I'm going to turn this thing around and I'm going to, I'm going to do something a little bit different, you know, and and maybe it's just that little bit of, you know, you kind of doing your post-game analysis of saying like, Hey, what, like, what was it that went wrong? Right. And just finding that little bit of momentum to say, yeah, like tomorrow I'm going to do this and I'm going to focus on this and I'm going to see if it gets any better. Right. This is so good. Wait, don't, we have to stop here because (laughs) I don't think enough people after performance think about that stuff. 
college athletes that play at our level or beyond and pro athletes, I think they know to ask that question, but I don't think enough athletes are asking those questions. They just want to forget about the bad. They just want to say, oh, it's a bad day, just move on. But they don't go through what made the bad day happen Mm -hmm. and what they're going to go do different. Yeah. There's a super fine line though, too. Totally. Because, you know, what what I've experienced as well is if you do it too quickly, you may react to something that isn't the norm, right? So like if I go out and let's just say, you know, it's part of that 36 whole day and I hit my first tee shot and it goes in the rough, you know, and my ball's gone, I can't find it, right? All of a sudden, like if I let that affect me and I overanalyze that shot, right? it could literally spiral my entire day out of control. Same thing with like a strikeout exactly. on a bad pitch. So it, it's it's almost finding that right balance of short-term memory loss of like, forget about it, move on, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. But then also knowing kind of when you do need to take that step back and be like, okay, this actually isn't working. Right. Right. And then, right. And then be able to analyze to yourself and say, what can I do a little bit differently to make either that next, the, the next shot the next round, the next day better. And most of the time for me, it was always like, I never really wanted to make a change within the day, right? Like that was when I found myself kind of doing the whole spiral out of control is like, and yeah. I, and I think I learned that probably from my high school coach that always kind of, you know, instilled in me to, to say, you know, and, and he did this with his daughter when she played college golf, focusing on, and you told me not to name, name drop, but I literally just like called him out but this is a good thing. Yeah, I was going to um, say, if it's a good thing, say but, the name for but sure. But he, uh, you know, he always talked about how he would never bring something up to her the same day. Yeah. He always waited until the next day because it allowed her to kind of analyze it herself and to basically like focus on that side of it. And then to basically be able to say, okay, now like, where are you at? Right. Because if it's the same day, sometimes it, it can be emotional. High emotions. Totally. Even after a good performance. Yep. Too high of emotions. I think we just need to pause here and reflect on the fact that one, this is not the first time this podcast has heard this, but if it's being said again, that means it means something big. So truly when you think of like the best athletes or I mean, just college athletes, whoever they're the best coaches in those realms are doing the same thing. If even the coaches are in high emotion, they're not going to have a meeting. Deanna Gump, I'm dropping a name at Notre Dame, she goes, if I'm too high emotional, I won't have a conversation with the team because it won't be constructive at all. And she goes, we have, we always have the conversation. We always talk about it. But when I get to simmer, when my coaching staff gets to simmer, when the players get to simmer, and then we have a conversation, it's totally different and it's actually constructive. Yeah. And I see that today in my, and you know, the real world too. Like it, it's crazy how much like, you know, it all ties together because the the same thing's true, you know, in the corporate world, in our lives. I think I think the same thing's true in, you know, relationships, right? Like when we have a conversation and one person is really high on emotions because something just happened, like it can make you kind of overreact and it makes it very unconstructive. Right. Yeah. But if we both have time to kind of like let those emotions come down say, Hey, like, okay, what happened? How'd it make us feel like what's going on? Right. And then basically be able to kind of analyze it from that standpoint, all of a sudden you can have a much more constructive kind of conversation and meeting. Totally. 
Wow. I don't know where we were before we went down this little rabbit hole, but. I think it was just you interrupting me. That's about it. What? How rude. <laughs> You're the first person to call me out on this podcast. Might not be the last. I hope not. I need my constructive criticism. But that's the thing. I don't want you to keep going and then us forget about the amazingness that just came. Sure. From your words. So college golf is hard. It's fun, though, too. You know, I mean, we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it. But, yeah, I mean, I think every sport's hard, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that college golf is hard and, you know, these other sports that, you know, people are playing are, are easy. I mean, every sport's hard. Every sport has its challenges. But I think that's, like, what makes athletes so special is because they embrace those challenges and they want to – they do it because they enjoy it. They enjoy the challenge and they enjoy the grind and none of us would have done it if we didn't enjoy it, right? Like, I don't think anybody's really forced to do it, um, at least not really at that level. You know, right. maybe, maybe sometimes we see that at kind of younger levels. And, and they burn out. Right. But, like, I think for, for the most part, I don't think there's a single person, you know, any one of my teammates, I don't think any one of, you know, the, my fellow student athletes that I, that I talked to that I met, you know, during my time with, at Purdue or within the Big Ten or even within the NCAA, you know, that I, I talked to a lot of student athletes. I don't think I ever met a student athlete that was just like, I'm doing this against my will. Like, please help me. You know, yeah. like every single person was super passionate about it. They loved the challenges. And even with some of the things that we were working on for student athletes, for student athlete well-being, I think the thing that we heard more than anything else is do not take our sport away from us. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we, we did a lot of work around time demands. Do not take my sport away from us. Do not lock me out of my gym. Do not lock me out of my field, my my, the golf course, whatever it was, right? Because people at the end of the day play a sport for very, very different reasons. Mm -hmm. And some people it's for to escape other things. And it's a great way to, to clear your mind. But it's also because we all love it. And it's, it's something that we enjoy and something that we want to continue to do. So like, you know, it was just, it, it, it's important. Like sports are important and they're an important part of, I mean- our lives, right? Yeah. All of our lives. Yeah. And if you want to be good at anything, it takes the work outside of practice to become good at it. Mm -hmm. So still giving the athletes the option to still practice on their own is big. I need to know why is golf, just the sport of golf in general, so flipping hard? <laughs> I've started to play. You say I'm actually decent at golf. You are. But I compare my skills to my softball skills and I suck. Sure. Okay. Okay, we've played enough golf together for you to know. I get very emotional on the golf course. And you say, you're not good enough to get emotional. Yes, you have said that to me before. This is actually not the first time that that phrase has come up in the podcast either, just to let you know. But why is it so hard, in your opinion? I mean, I think it's hard because there's, there's certain people out there that make it look extremely easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, and, but it's, but it's one of those sports that I think is universal that everybody plays. I mean, like I don't on a day-to-day -day basis, like I'm not on a football field with NFL players, right? Like I don't, I don't know what that's like, but golf is an extremely comparable sport because you're doing the same exact thing with the same exact technology and equipment that a professional is doing it with. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's extremely comparable, right? I mean, even if I went to a, to a softball field right now and somebody threw me a pitch, that's not the same as, you know, a Monica Abbott throwing me a pitch. 
So it's not comparable, right? Like I could right. hit that ball or I could even swing and miss and be like, wow, this is hard. But I would have no idea how hard it actually is compared to the best in the world. But golf is extremely comparable because you see these people doing the same exact thing that you're trying to do and they make it look so easy and so effortless. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's like wh- soccer. I'm just saying European soccer. They make it look so easy. Sorry. Keep it, going. They do make it look really easy. They do keep going. Um, but I think like that's part of it is just because, you know, our human nature is to compare ourselves, right? Not saying it's right or wrong, but like everything's kind of a comparison. Mm-hmm. And I think like when we watch the best and we watch them on TV or we watch somebody that's better than us, like, you know, out on the golf course and they make it look super easy. And I think that's where your, a lot of your criticism comes from, right? Cause you're, you've watched people at the highest levels play, right? Like you've, you've been to PGA tour tournaments, you've seen these guys do it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, why can't I just do that? Right. Right. Well, it's because they have spent hours and hours and hours and days working on that specific craft and you've been working on a different craft, right? Yeah. So how can you expect to be anywhere near as good as that person that's been working on this forever? And at the end of the day, it just makes it look extremely simple. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of when we were watching football this weekend or this week. When I was my... You're so critical. My, You've never played football in your life. And you're like, my, I could do that. I'm like, no, co- you can't. My coach on the couch. <laughs> I mean, it comes out of all of us, but I completely agree with you. Yeah. I completely agree. But the thing that you haven't mentioned yet, and I've just been waiting for you to answer, is the mental aspect. I mean, it is. But but I think that goes back to like the comparison, right? Like, We don't make golf any easier on ourselves when we watch people that do it really, really well, like that can give us tips on like how we could do it differently. But at the end of the day, it's like, it is mental. Like you've got to just be able to get beyond the fact that you just hit a bad shot and there's still good shots to be hit, you know? So much easier to say than do though. Sure. It is. I mean, but, but it's also relative, right? Mm -hmm. Like what a good shot is for one person isn't, this isn't necessarily a good shot for somebody else. And I think that's something important to like keep in mind because somebody that rarely plays the game, you know, making contact with the golf ball is not necessarily bad, right? You just didn't make the right contact with it. That's why it dribbled in front of you, right? Or that's why it went over into the trees. But like once you can start to figure out like, okay, where am I at? Like what is my level of ability? And you start putting in the time to do that and you start to basically have more realistic expectations. Like your expectation when you go to the golf course should not be, I'm going to hit every single fairway and every single green and regulation and make 18 pars. Like it's just not going to happen. You you don't play enough. Like I don't play enough. That shouldn't be my expectation. Oh, you were talking about me in that situation. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Anybody listening that plays golf can definitely take that to heart. But like it's being realistic with your expectations at the end of the day, right? And I think that's where the mental side can get in people's way because they expect something that they're not seeing the results of. And that basically takes you into kind of this mental, like really kind of slippery slope of just like, well, I'm I'm just terrible. I'm just really, really bad at this. I'm I'm never gonna be good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you have really bad expectations, right? It's 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 like goal setting, right? You're not going to set a goal that's just completely way out there. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say as a 29 year old, you know, I want to, I want to be the first man on Mars. Like that's just an unrealistic expectation. I'm setting myself up for failure if I say that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think the same is true for a golfer that, you know, doesn't play very often or just picked up clubs for the first time to say, I'm going to play on the PGA tour next year. 
right? Like that's unrealistic. So mm-hmm. I think the more that we can be realistic with where we are with certain aspects, the more fun we're going to have with it. And the more that we can actually like really analyze where we are and where we want to be with that specific thing and not, you know, get super, super upset at ourselves when something doesn't go exactly the way we want it to. Right. Do you see why I just had to get Ben Marvin on this podcast? One of the most exciting things that I that I learned from him when I first met him was just how composed he is with his words, how knowledgeable he is, how cautious he is with his words as well. If you can kind of tell, we balance each other out in a lot of ways. I loved this conversation so much that obviously we had to cut it short or else this would be a two hour long conversation and nobody wants that. So tune in next week to part two, where we learn a little bit more about his caddying experience for one of his teammates on the PGA tour, what he thinks separates the greatest athletes from the not so great, especially what he learned on the PGA tour, being around Tiger Woods, being around some of the best golfers in the world. I really loved his answer on that one. And also we dive into the five to thrive questions that I ask every one of my guests, but these are going to be a little more fun and personal. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to part two. Thank you so much for listening to part one. If you enjoyed this conversation, maybe share it with your golfer or share it with your softball player, share it with anybody who you feel like will be able to grab some of this conversation and really dive deep into themselves and just at least understand that there's way more to this world than just softball. We can learn so much from other sports. And crazy enough, he's the first one to come on that's played another sport. If you loved it, let me know. Go ahead, go to Apple Podcasts and write me a review or send me a DM or share on social media. Definitely tag me. Don't tag my husband. He's never on social. Actually, he just had his first Instagram post, I think in a year. So tag me. I will definitely share it with him. And thanks again for joining. See you next week. Don't forget to stay humble, stay awkward, and keep smiling and keep working towards those big goals of yours. Don't forget the Virtual Hitting Academy is live, is open, and it's only open until January 14th. Go ahead and go back to the beginning of this episode if you want to recap on how to join, but just head to the website and it can tell you everything. All right, here's my official sign off. See you next week.